0: Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast from therapists for clients about the healing journey. We hope this will be a resource of encouragement, comfort, insight, and understanding for you along this courageous process.
1: Welcome back to Beyond Trauma podcast, a guide for your healing journey. This is Jen, and we've got Melissa and Bridger here today as well. And we are going to talk today about if our body comes to therapy too, what that's like, um, how that shows up in a therapy session, and just really focusing in on the significance of our body in a therapy practice. That might be kind of a new idea for some of you, or it may be something you've heard before, but hopefully by the end of the, the episode, we'll have really discussed in depth why our body is so important.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that we spend a lot of time talking about a mind-body connection mm-hmm. and most people have kind of heard something about um, you know the connection between mind-body being important and uh, maybe you have you know gone to a yoga class where they talk about the mind-body connection um, it's something that I think just culturally we're gaining awareness of. It almost um, feels like
1: trendy. It is. Right yeah. Now.
2: Yeah. And yeah. frankly, I'm kind of, you know, some trends serve a great purpose. Right. <laughs> I'm okay with this it, one. Yeah. And this particular trend is something that uh, I think is really helpful for our therapy practice because people come in with a little bit of awareness about why it's so important and that it is relevant for therapy. In the past, we would have to spend quite a bit of time, um, I don't wanna say convincing, but kind of educating why we spend any time focusing on the body in a mental health therapy Mm -hmm. setting. Um, But nowadays people kind of have enough of a conceptualization of why that might be relevant that it feels a little bit more familiar and easier to connect with. Um, So yeah, I don't know, how do you guys kinda introduce this to people when they come into therapy?
3: It is something for me that it's always kind of the first stop on Mm -hmm. the, on the train, you know, they're, they're going to come in. And usually we have that kind of little banter of, uh, you know, did you find the place? Okay. And you know, Mm -hmm. how, how's your day going and okay. So what made you want to come to therapy now? You know, Mm -hmm. we've kind of talked about that in previous episodes, but then as they start talking, you know, I'm kind of paying attention to, to how they are in relationship with their body, even in just the way they're talking. Right. So are they using their hands a lot? Are they, mm-hmm. are they clearly using their body as a, you know, almost intentional means of communication? Right. And that to me gives me an indication of, okay, so they're, they're kind of in an aware connection with their mind and body. And as they start to, um, tell their story, are they referencing anything in their body? Are mm-hmm. they, um, they all just kind of sitting up in that shiny, Prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. that we talk a lot about. So Mm -hmm. to me, it is one of the first things I try to get into the conversation of, you know, your, your mind isn't the only thing that's talking right now, or I might Mm -hmm. say something like, uh, just start with saying that mind is interconnected with the body. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not just a mind on a stick sometimes mm-hmm. brain on a stick gets a lot of people like okay I see what you're saying right <laughs> you know yeah. some right. of our culture just says we're just brains walking into rooms yeah but yeah. we are this integrated nervous system that has um, so many different afferent and efferent neurons you know mm-hmm. back and forth between um, the outside and the inside and throughout our, our development that is such an important thing to give reference to because that connection is being shaped by our Mm -hmm. experiences and Mm -hmm. especially in trauma.
2: Yeah. So I want to go back to a phrase that you use that I think a lot of people might uh, feel like is new to them, that idea of afferent and efferent. Yeah. Um, And I think that's really relevant in therapy because most of us are used to thinking about our brain directing our body. Right. Right. And uh, you know that is true. That's the the efferent, um, but the afferent means that our body is always sending signals back to our brain. Yes, it is the biggest source of information that our brain has. I don't think we're ever like taught like
1: that's not talked about growing up. No, at all. that's a very no. new yes. concept. Yeah, yes. and, and even
3: in in counseling education, it's just references like, oh, did you know that you mm-hmm. have like yeah. these neurons that and these. Um, Senses that are sending signals to control your brain.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
3: So we think it's what? always
1: just our thoughts that are right. going to control everything. Right. right. But the reality is, is the reverse Yes, actually happens first. It yeah. actually most, happens yes.
2: first. It happens more and it happens faster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stronger. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, they are, you know, the signals that our brain frankly takes the most seriously. Yeah. Um, and it's, It's our body that is signaling to our brain that the brain needs to signal to other parts of the body to get in on whatever reaction. Like, hey, this is kind of what I'm
3: going through right now, out in my left hand. Uh So you need to maybe move away from the stove. Right, (laughs) right. (laughs) Will you please tell
2: my feet to jump? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think you know when we start to to realize that that there's this constant, like, so constant communication back and forth between brain and body. And it's not one being in charge of the other. It is meant to be this beautiful synchronous relationship um, where there's, you know, it's symbiotic. They're working together constantly, referencing each other constantly to make the best decisions, Mm -hmm. always for the purpose of our survival. It's literally like the number one thing. There's other things that our brains and bodies are interested in, but really always those are secondary in comparison to our survival and perpetuation of the species. It's literally what our body cares about.
3: Yeah. So I want you to talk a little bit more about what that sort of internal drive mm-hmm. towards safety and connection. Yes. And how the mind body, um, and, you know, that that system that's integrated together. Yeah. Really kind of that's its only only objective right is to have safety and connection
2: right well i think one of the relevant bits is that that feels kind of confusing at the beginning because the things that we're used to talking to each other about the, the stories that we're used to telling the kinds of things that we feel concerned about um, cognitively, we don't actually spend a lot of time talking about. Do I feel safe here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I feel safe with this person? Does my body like being around this person? Not even
1: just do I think I'm safe. Yeah. But yeah. actually, do feel does my body safe? sense right. safety? Right. Yeah. And uh, I
3: don't think I've ever. I mean, to the point of teaching, like your children, I yeah. don't think I've ever been asked that. Of, do you feel safe here? Yeah. yeah. In
1: fact, we always say the opposite. Like a a kid will
2: show Mm -hmm. fear. You're fine.
1: You're okay.
3: There's
2: nothing to be afraid afraid. of. The the dog's not going to bite you. You're okay. You're fine. Don't be afraid. Yeah. We sort of, we discount, um, how, yeah, just how powerful that need for safety is. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And in that discounting, we disconnect them from their brain body. Don't
2: listen to my
1: body
3: right? because my, when your body sends a sense of fear. That's right. Yeah discount it shut it
2: down and we sort of set ourselves up for this idea that if i cannot rationally and logically explain to myself
3: discomfort why
2: i feel the way i feel then i cannot and should not take it seriously yeah Yeah.
3: you can't explain it that's right doesn't exist
2: and so you guys can probably start to uh feel and imagine how relevant this is for healing from trauma yeah because it's everything that's right because that that disconnect that we experience between our brain and our body when there is a real threat that we encounter and we have to try to make sense of that after the fact it is so disconnecting and disintegrating to our mind and our body especially if we have people around us that discount and disconnect us from mm-hmm. that experience that yeah. tell us that we're overreacting that it that it wasn't that big of a deal that we should be over it by now if we got any of those messages which unfortunately most of us do it's this constant rejection of what my body is feeling and so when people are coming into therapy a big part of what we do is remind them that we want their body to show up too Like we literally want to be engaging with the body as much as we're engaging with the logical brain in therapy, Mm -hmm. if not even
3: more. Yeah. That's the point I was just going to say of that's one of the things that I've gotten in reflection from the clients and patients that I work with is, is that this is different because it seems like I'm paying attention to something that no one else has of I'm, I'm getting their, their body to, come into the room
2: yeah to really show up Mm -hmm. to be felt to To give it language to give it
3: acknowledgement to give it you know Mm -hmm. to give it place Mm -hmm. here in the room yeah yeah Yeah. and so so few of the people that i work with have ever been afforded that yeah they've never had the safety to come
1: with that because it's usually not organized and pretty and structured like it comes in very messy because that's what's happening inside after trauma yeah so it comes in anxious or mm-hmm. fearful or reactive mm-hmm. and welcoming those presentations because they're not filtered and minimized from the logical brain that says I shouldn't feel that way yeah
3: it's almost like in this I've never said it this way before but it just came to my mind it is almost like two people walk into the room
4: mm-hmm. when
3: one body just entered like yeah. you know when I see somebody come into the room it is almost like uh controlled mother and her crazy child (laughs) like (laughs) okay here's the mom who's just like yeah showing up for the appointment Uh, but then the child uh, just like yeah Yeah, just going crazy and there is that disconnect between the brain and body and many people as they come in of well here's what I know I need to say and how I need to be and what I can and can't do but my body's just like like right. just breathing heavily and just like ready to anxious, yeah, afraid, afraid, afraid fearful, ready to mobilize yes, or yes. just shut down. Yes. Yeah.
2: Well, and I, I think that so much of what people expect in therapy is to be taught how to manage their body better. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. How to uh, stay in control yeah. of whatever their body is feeling or man. Can you them just help me get this thing? Under yeah. Control. Like I'm anxious. I feel anxious. I don't want to feel anxious. How do we get my body to quit feeling anxious? And of course, that's a reasonable goal. And we have the same one, except our understanding of how we get to that point is not by managing what the body is doing. Or silencing it. Yeah, or silencing Mm -hmm. it, controlling it, disconnecting from it. In fact, it's to really lean in and engage with what is showing up in the body to allow the body to release to actually be able to move through, process, let go of, and the way that we do that is by feeling it fully. And trauma therapy has a lot to do with creating a safe enough environment where our body can feel fully the impact of what it's been through so that it can then release it yeah. from the body. If we take that example of the mother coming
1: in with her child, mm-hmm. if that mother's strategy with that kid is stop, sit down, right. quit acting this way. Right. You know, or like, to
2: literally like hold them still.
1: Right, right. or it just totally Restraint. ignore them. Yes. Yeah, or were, yes. Yes. The child's behaviors will get bigger yes. and, and bigger that. and intensify. Yeah. Versus if she leans in and holds right. that child, yes, yeah. engages that child, yeah. looks them in the eyes. Yeah. There's Then is when that starts to settle. So if we connect that to our symptoms, the anxiety will continue to grow yes, and get louder. The fear will get bigger. Yeah. Unless we create a space for it to just exist. Mm-hmm. The more we try to silence it yeah. and capture it into a box and push it away, the bigger it's going to get yeah. because yeah. it's not being seen.
3: So we've talked about it kind of just in general terms of what might, present Mm -hmm. in the room and I know that for listeners now there's kind of like a sweeping of like oh yeah that's kind of it's kind of reminding me of how I feel sometimes when I go into rooms especially when the attention is on me yeah and I do want to give comfort to that I also want to start bringing us into the conversation of what trauma actually does Mm -hmm. to this connection Mm -hmm. between the brain and body Mm -hmm.
2: I think that there's no way to talk about that without talking about that trauma um, also disconnects us from other people. Yeah. And for for human beings, because we are mammals, first and foremost, we experience safety best, and maybe only in true connection, safe connection with other people. And because the most traumatizing trauma has to do with relational rupture, hmm. uh, things like betrayal, violence, all of that, And it's usually at the hands of another human being. One of the things that helps us understand this is that when we look at, you know, traumatizing events, things that are not connected to other humans, like natural disasters, while they are traumatizing, people recover much faster and much better. Mm -hmm. Not to be insensitive,
3: but it's easier to clean up in a lot of ways. Um,
2: And, uh, you know, traumas that have that connection to a betrayal from another human being. Yeah are so much harder to to work through and move through. And the closer the relationship, the harder it gets. If Mm -hmm. I was hurt by a stranger, that is easier to navigate than if it was my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, because the closer that relationship is, the deeper that sense of betrayal and loss of trust and safety is. Well, and
3: even in, you know, let's say it is the loss of a loved one, the type of losing that it is, if it's to an accident, but then if it's to, themselves if right. it's to suicide that's yeah. a totally different mm-hmm. type yes. of loss mm-hmm. yes yeah
1: and all of that goes clear back to an evolutionary
3: yes please uh-huh.
1: as to why is it that relationships are more traumatic to yeah. lose or yeah. that type of hurt
3: and even why they matter so much mm-hmm. yes yeah mm-hmm.
1: that, that the initial need for relationship is survival yes yeah that that is a. The strategy for survival. If you even think about like a small infant entering into the world, completely helpless, yeah, mm. totally vulnerable. The relationship mm. exists purely for the survival of that right. that right being. Yes, and so when a relationship is compromised, our
2: bodies register it as a life threat, threat to life. Yes, yes, yes. yes life. Threat. It is the most dangerous thing that we experience. Mm-hmm. And Isolation. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that can be really. Um, Comforting and surprising when we first start learning about why things are so traumatic and why Mm -hmm. we've reacted the way that we have It's not just that I am hurt that this person did this hard thing to me. It's that my body registered it as a life threat Yes And when we really understand that, that we are, you know, we haven't evolved. Our bodies have not evolved past the point where we really, really understand relationship as survival. Yes. Like our prefrontal cortex doesn't remember that cognitively and consciously. But our bodies are still totally convinced yeah. that like, out of relationship, we're not You think safe. whatever
3: you want. But if we're ever right. alone, right. like really alone, yep. that's not a good thing. We're doomed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and, it's over. And
2: that is that is you know why over and over we see people that are presenting with those kind of symptoms in this place of deep despair and suicidality. Yeah. Because our systems actually think, well, if I'm going to die anyway then maybe I should just go ahead and end it. Yeah. And so when we understand mm. the evolutionary component of what we're experiencing, it starts to make sense of all of these symptoms that we see and experience as human beings that don't make a lot of sense logically.
3: Yeah. I mean, I love, this is how I, I intro it with a lot of the clients and patients I work with is talking about, you know, where we came from as yes. a species. Yeah. This is something that is—it's it, just biologically mm-hmm. true that we're safer in numbers. Yep. We're safer in connection. We have mm-hmm. more resources. We have more more eyes around for seeking threat. Yep. We have more hands to help carry the weight. We have more resources to mend a broken, you know, limb or a mm-hmm. wound or something like that. And so every bit of our evolution was geared towards making that connection as secure as possible.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, to the detriment that if you're outside of the group norm, that's a place where shame comes in and right. says you need to change. Right. And right. if you can't change, you need to leave yeah. because you're not helping yes. the group get along.
1: Yeah. And even the just thought coming to my mind a lot of times I hear clients say, like, I can be around so many people, but I still feel incredibly alone. Totally alone. It's not just any people right? yeah. that create safety, yes. right? It's not just anyone that gives us survival. It's our people. Yeah. It's those people people that are our close tribe. to us our yeah. tribe yeah. yes that we need connection there mm-hmm. not right. just i have nobody but yet i'm in a room of a hundred people mm-hmm. and so suddenly i'm safe mm-hmm. it's yeah. those that are were brought into our closeness to protect us and care mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. and yeah. so there is that need for closeness from people that are your tribe which yeah goes back into trauma from your primary caregivers mm-hmm. or from yeah. parent figures.
3: So powerful. Becomes
1: even the deepest kind of relational wounds mm-hmm. because of the, those are the ones you enter the world desperately needing for survival. Yeah. So when trauma happens in those relationships, that's when your body really says, well, I, then I have nobody Yeah. yeah. Um, or I'm very, very vulnerable to the world right yeah, now. And
3: what we know from the developmental science there is if, if that rupture is within those first couple of years of life and the caregiver becomes the biggest threat that's Mm -hmm. going to set up a uh, an understanding of self in the individual that is what's called disintegrated yeah it's a it's a version of yourself that you don't know who you are Yeah, and you don't know what you're worth you don't know what you deserve
2: well and you don't know how to be safe in connection not
3: at all you don't even believe in safety yeah um -hmm. it's not a thing to be experienced it's something to be um to be cautious of yeah. because anybody that's promising that yeah. um, they're going to hurt Guard you. Yeah. Real connection feels like yes. a threat. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because that's the template we, we experienced. Yeah.
2: I, I recently um, found a Ted talk, which I love Ted talks. So oh, I yes. hope you do too. Yes. <laughs> but there, there's a recent one that came out and it was a longitudinal meaning uh, over a long span of time study about longevity and the factors in life that are the best predictors of longevity. And the hypothesis was that it would have everything to do with stress and the amount of stress that an individual is experiencing over the course of their lifetime. I feel like that's intuitive. Like yeah, yeah, yeah that you seems, hear that narrative. It yeah, seems like yeah. a, a logical uh, hypothesis and lead yeah. to make. And turns out they were wrong um, that the number one influencing factor had to do with social connectedness. Mm -hmm. Mm. And the number two was having deep, intimate relationships. So Mm. once again, that was also surprising. Right, so the the number one predictor was the number of pleasant conversations that we have in a given day. And it didn't have to necessarily be with uh, people that we were deeply familiar with. So it could be the person that makes my coffee Mm -hmm. in the morning, it could be my mailman, my kid's teacher when I drop them off but the number of points of contact that I have where I'm likely to make eye contact and smile at somebody and wish mm. them well in their day, mm-hmm. yeah. right? That you guys, that's the number one predictor of longevity. It's this, it's the social connectedness of mammals in a herd, just feeling like we can move around in social ways um, that are safe and connected.
3: Yeah. That makes me curious. Cause I'm, I think there's an easy takeaway from that of mm-hmm. just like, oh, so just, just go smile more right. at people. <laughs> go be right. around people. Just go be around people. But right. I think that's actually pointing at a deeper truth right. that is, or a deeper reality rather, which is to say an openness to connection.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. and they, they were not implying... Causation. Yes. They were just looking at the correlation. Yeah. And so if we think about who are the kinds of people. Yes,
3: that's it. The kind of yes, person. Who
2: are the kinds of people that are likely to walk around in their world mm-hmm. making eye contact, smiling at strangers and wishing them well on a regular basis? These are people that feel safe in connection. Yes. Mm-hmm. These are, are people that assume um, trust. Mm-hmm. And that other people are going to want to yes. exchange that connection yeah. with them, and I, I feel like that is more causal yes. than yeah.
3: versus who is the type of person who is closed off to right connection, who doesn't
2: want to make eye contact, who doesn't want to intentionally at avoids, yes.
3: looks down, or yes. maybe pulls out their phone. That's right. When given the opportunity to interact yes. with a stranger, yes. it's somebody who views the world as unsafe at the very least not a place that I can be open to not inviting so, yeah. not unfriendly inviting. yes yeah. and at the worst threatening yeah yeah yeah.
2: and the the second factor was those close and intimate relationships mm-hmm. and I loved their definition of this because it is so profoundly practical like how do you define intimate relationship right like it, it's just this I don't know big amorphous thing but they kept it very simple they said we considered an intimate relationship somebody that if you're sick you would call them to drive you to the hospital or if you're broke you could call them to loan you money. Mm-hmm. That's it. Interesting. And those were considered close intimate relationships. Yeah. And so people that had a longer list of people that they, you know, identified as yes, I could do those two things. Mm. That was the second major factor. But things like how much do you smoke? How much do you exercise? How much green leafy stuff do you eat on a regular basis <laughs> way down the list like seven eight nine hmm. right the two top ones had everything to do with social connectedness and that feeling of safety that um you know relationship is a a pleasant and friendly thing yeah. in my world and i think that has wow. everything to do with what That's we're talking beautiful. about that it's not it's not just that by having these relationships it does something for us um, mentally. There is something physiologically and yes. biologically, medically going on where we live longer when we have these kinds of connections. And so in therapy, that is a huge part of why we're constantly attending to what is the body's experience of this connection, because we have to give the body an opportunity to learn that that there is safety in connection.
1: Mm hmm. I think this kind of brings us into when you're in an actual session
4: mm-hmm.
1: how do you begin to integrate the body or bring in awareness and I think there's this mutual role between the client themselves and the therapist and both participants are um, holding the body to the same value and, and are um, working with that so finding a therapist that is really open to exploring that aspect of trauma and mental health, I think is really important. And then for yourself, being able to say, how do I tune into my body and look um, at my body and consider what am I feeling right now? Mm -hmm. How's my posture being held right now? Where am I holding tension and stress right now? Mm Do What's I feel safe here? right yeah. at right now. And yeah. all of those indicating, yeah, am I, am I safe? Mm-hmm. Am I feeling connected? Um, so listening to those things and not just ignoring or writing them off, but mm-hmm. recognizing them as really significant information. Mm-hmm. And that those are as
2: important as the thoughts that you're having. Yes. Maybe yeah. even more important that's than the, the thoughts you're having.
3: That's the shift that I think our practice really represents that is quite challenging yeah. to the field of psychotherapy in general. Um Especially here in the Midwest, it seems, because we're saying that what you just said was that the feelings that you have and the sensations and the the messages you get from inside Mm -hmm. are more important than the thoughts that you have, which is very challenging Mm -hmm. to um, a lot of our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And it requires a sense of patience and openness to connection with yourself
2: right that which is scary yes it is especially
3: i i always use this analogy of the backdraft idea when a building is on fire and the doors are closed it's the fire is inside but the second that that door gets opened Mm -hmm. it explodes right and that's exactly what the human heart it seems to be like when we're in connection with it or, or when we're disconnected from it for so long and we start to poke at it yes you get the crack in the door and then just Boom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just blows up.
2: Yeah. And there there is that um, that need for being careful about how we go about that and really attending to that and creating as much safety as possible. Yeah. And uh, at least in our practice, we spend a lot of time at the beginning of a therapeutic relationship of trying to get enough safety so that we can open that door together yeah. and manage whatever comes flying out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that takes a tremendous amount of trust and a tremendous amount of safety um, and we ease into that there's not this expectation that okay you just have to trust me now in yeah. fact we don't recommend that right like mm. letting the body take its time mm. to really acclimate and learn what uh, slowly building trust um, over time what, what does that really feel like that's a huge part of the therapeutic relationship yeah. especially at the beginning and and that's safety within the
1: relationship but also safety within the self mm-hmm. like is it safe for me to connect with my body right if i've been so disconnected what am i gonna find when i look inward yeah Yeah. it'd be really scary yeah Yeah. and we work with a yoga therapist who's just incredible but she talks about finding your safety on the earth and Mm -hmm. that comes from just how do you stand Mm -hmm. like what is your foot placement and how you stand and if you don't feel safe in your stance like on the earth itself Mm -hmm. how do you feel safe in anything else and so coming Mm -hmm. back even to like finding safety within my own body
2: as well as safety within the relationship yes. between you and the therapist. Yeah, and for a lot of people with, you know, trauma in our history, our body is where all the bad stuff happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And our brain is the place that we escaped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so inviting people and suggesting to people that we reverse that is basically implying that we need to undo the thing that helped us survive and we have deep respect for what that means and which is why we spend so much time uh, going slow at the beginning and really making sure that there are other ways of being safe um and not pushing ourselves over a cliff that we're not ready Mm. uh, for and i think that you know so if you're in that boat where you're thinking uh no thank you this is where (laughs) i have stored all of the bad things um we get that and we're really really mindful when we're approaching the body but we also really believe that it is possible with great care and attention to completely release what has been stored in the body well, in a I, safe way. I
3: think even stronger than that, we are saying that true healing
2: That is true healing. That yes
3: can only happen yes. when that is when that connection is made again. And and that goes back to our definition of healing. Right. Is that when the brain and the body both agree that I'm safe in connection. Mm-hmm. That is paramount. Yes. If it's not that, then it's still more, more growth, more work, more, more openings Mm -hmm. to be made. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not discouraging, but that's something that is, we need help in in that process. We have good reasons why we're scared of it. Always. Yes. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. There's other approaches that are still produce results of true coping Mm -hmm. true managing true surviving
3: i don't like any (laughs) words you're using
4: right now and (laughs) And they serve
1: their purpose they do i know know, and and i I think for a lot of listeners like that may have felt like healing, right? Yeah. Like, and it yeah. really if you find a good may, way to cope,
4: yeah. that's yeah. relief. Yes. Huge. And, please and really may yes. work we well, have yeah. worked well in their lives. And yes. so
1: that whole, all of the work and efforts you've invested in doing that are definitely worth yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But just to plant a seed of hope is there might be even something deeper and greater. Yeah and yeah. larger when it comes to healing and of relief that you can get from the trauma that yes. says maybe I don't have to so rigidly cope. Yeah, and
3: what would it, What, a, what would a life be like where you didn't have to cope?
1: Right. Gosh.
3: That yeah. is unbelievable to many. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, it, it is a hard thing to imagine, but yeah.
2: It is possible. It's, it's real. Is. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think, at least for me, the first time that I was introduced to this idea, somebody framed it in terms of what if you didn't have to have a migraine every day? What if you didn't have to get a stomach ache every morning before you went to work? Yeah. What if you didn't have to go to the chiropractor every other week just to like move around and function?
3: Yeah, be a person. Yeah,
2: and I remember thinking, I don't know what any of that has to do with my trauma. (laughs) Yeah, excuse me. But if that's what you're saying is a possibility, sign me up because I'm over, you know, heavy doses of ibuprofen every day and everything else that I have to do in order to manage. And, uh, you know, just my own personal experience is that all of that is gone. Yeah. And it was so clear to me in my healing journey that it was a one-to-one correlation. The more trauma got released from my body the less physical, medical symptoms I had to deal with. So we're not just talking about emotional coping. I was doing that too, with various and sundry, uh, really creative ways (laughs) that most (laughs) of us find. Um, And uh, you know, those are still available when I need them and get overwhelmed. But the, the thing that I didn't anticipate and didn't understand how profound it was going to be, that coping and managing still means that the trauma is in our body and mm-hmm. we are going to have true I feel like
3: you just need to stop <laughs>
2: <laughs> you say that
3: because again. that is such yeah. a yeah my body when you said it like just like uh-huh. slumped a little bit yes and it's so uh, it's so kind yeah of our bodies mm-hmm. to let us believe
4: mm-hmm.
3: that we're okay
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean how beautiful right that even though we went through this horrible thing we found something that's good enough right for now it's okay our we body can keep going
2: yeah our body is the closet that holds the skeletons yes mm-hmm. and it does so so willing you know I I just you know be encouraging to you guys that if you are also dealing with true mm. medical physical manifestations even
3: skin irritation yes, oh and, gosh yes. there, there's
2: so many things that end up being connected because trauma impacts our nervous system it impacts our biology it is stored in our cells and and what we're describing by attending to the body means that we're releasing the trauma yeah. on all of those levels so that it no longer has to manage all yeah. of that.
3: That is the direct link that trauma has. You know, there's been this idea in the past ten years of like the trauma brain right. and things like that, um, that has gotten some pushback also because the brain is still reactionary mm-hmm. to the base of the brain stem mm-hmm. which is which is giving the power to all of those Uh, neurochemicals and all of those uh, signals that are being interpreted, it's not coming from the frontal lobes. It's coming from the very base of the brain where these uh, traumas get into and shape for damn good reason. Yes, We need to be able to avoid this from ever happening again. And so we will store a You know, a a sense detection (laughs) sort of like rule book in Mm -hmm. our brainstem that says if anything even slightly resembles what happened to us, we're going to do everything we can to avoid it at all costs. And if we cannot, we will shut down.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you guys have heard the phrase trigger or triggering or I was triggered, that's what it's referring to is that our body literally remembers and highlights um, and therefore reacts really quickly and strongly to anything that reminds yeah. us of previous trauma. That's what we mean by, you know, triggered. We get all of the same reaction in our body that we did at the time of the trauma because our body is trying to alert us to the danger. Yeah. And say so there's something about this that's dangerous.
3: Do that in a flash second. Oh, so fast. We can be Lightning safe speed. and social, just yeah. connected with someone else and then boom. Yep. We're back
1: because our systems are so brilliant, it will detect it at the very earliest sign so that we don't get too far in where we're exactly. Yes, and this will create avoiding relationships in general. Yes, Yes. going outside, yes, yes, right, because that's where the trauma happens. Yes, Yes. so it'll start to detect it so early that it doesn't even seem consciously Mm -hmm. like, oh, clearly that makes sense, right, it's happening so soon and on such an innate level that we're in this protection survival yeah, mode. Yeah, the way
3: that mm-hmm. I explain it to my clients is like, if let's just say you needed 10 different items to be presented at the same time for you to react to it. That was what happened in that first trauma. You mm-hmm. needed those 10 things. Mm-hmm. Well, the brain learns that maybe if I just shorten that or lower it to nine things, right?
2: Mm-hmm. I would be safer. I'd be safer. Yep. And
3: then it says, oh, well, what if we just went down to one? Yeah. If one of those things was present we're gonna send the exact same and this
2: this is why trauma progresses over time that's right and time does not Not heal heal all wounds wounds. when it comes to trauma turns out
3: they fester
2: yes turns out they they get worse which is why we have a lot of clients that when they come in they don't understand why they're reacting now, that four years later, a decade ago, et cetera. That was when I was a kid. Yeah, like, yeah. Why, why am I having this response now? Well, it's what Bridger said, because over time, your brain and your system got smarter and smarter and more and more it's reactive so wise. until, oh, maybe agoraphobia is a really good choice. Yeah. I yeah. should just not drive anymore. I should just stay away from all people. I should just be anxious anytime I'm out of the house. Maybe yeah. I can go out of the house, but I have to be on guard 100% yes. of the time. Yeah.
3: And that is such a beautiful, you know, response of your nervous system mm-hmm. to say like we're not safe.
4: Yeah. Yeah. We're
3: going to be safe. Yeah. I'm going to do all I can it's, to make it's us safe. It's its number one job. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to keep us alive. Mm-hmm. And you want to keep going out and doing things? Okay. Well, okay then. I'm going to I'm also working on an argument to keep that from ever happening right. again by the way, but I really am going to keep you aware of everything in your surroundings. If you
2: will leave the house, I will give you a large dose of cortisol and adrenaline and make you really nervous so that you pay attention to what's going on. Every detail. You can't
3: miss anything because the last time you did miss something, something Mm -hmm. horrible happened.
2: And that's the thing about
1: repeated traumas or multiple. Like if we have one, let's say you have those 10 factors that your body is watching out for if something happens that meets, say, eight of those factors, Mm -hmm. now we're gonna go down to, we only need five Mm -hmm. before, and then another thing happens. So as a kid, if you are in a traumatic environment that you have no control over, and these things are repetitively happening, Mm -hmm. something, you know,
2: well, traumatic and there is just attack, more and right? more factors. Yes. Right. Yes. If I have one trauma, all I have to worry about is the factors that are associated with that and one that event. One. Yeah. If I have, and you know, this is unfortunately a strong reality, a hundred moments in my life mm-hmm. that were traumatic. Each with their factors. Each mm-hmm. with their own specific factors: smell, taste, sensations, thoughts, etc. And now we multiply those factors by all of it's those events. It's compounding. The whole freaking world is terrifying. That's yeah.
3: exactly right. Yeah. And so I, I start by explaining those those small factors formula and usually the client can say like oh Oh, i do this like with a lot of things yeah yeah Yeah. yeah, you do yeah the world is really scary exhausting yeah
2: and people are so you know one of the things that we always hear is how tired they are yes they're they're like deep down weary physically weary yes but also just like this deep down soul weariness of trying to carry themselves through life managing all of this And, you know, for all of those reasons, we really, really strongly feel that without attending to the body and the way that the body has stored trauma and is constantly remembering and reminding us of what we have been through in an effort to keep us safe. If we don't attend to that, we don't really see much progress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: No, it just continues to get more sensitive.
2: Yeah, Yeah. we might get, you know, better at strategizing how to cope, but that always comes with a cost.
3: That also brings up a good a good point for me. And, um, there are moments where, you know, they'll present with a symptom. OCD is an easy one because it's so debilitating Mm -hmm. when it's in its fullest form. Um, they're, they're constantly hijacked by it and they just want relief of any kind. Yeah. They want a strategy that, that can help them calm down. Yeah. That is great. And usually when they experience that relief, you know, we, we, Addressed one of the one of the areas where there were so many factors involved, um, we addressed that. Okay, great. So now I feel fantastic. I'm going to just go about doing my business. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is we didn't we didn't get to the core of it right. of what actually is causing the sensitivity in the first place. So there might be an experienced relief or coping, like we talked about. But there will be inevitably that will come up in some yeah. Other it'll form bubble up in later. another place. Yep. Yes. Yep. It'll come up mm-hmm. later.
1: Mm -hmm. so kind of just in summary is all of this not even in summary but in closing with all this information if this is something that really speaks to you that you're really interested in but asking like how do i start to even become familiar with my body how do i even begin that relationship um therapy it's a great place to do that Mm -hmm. with the right therapist Mm -hmm. (laughs) um We also have a resource that I would encourage you guys to check out. It's called the Mental Health First Aid Kit. And this is something that we've put together. It's a course that you can take that walks through several different guided exercises that are very mind-body focused and Mm -hmm. um, really highlights that connection. Some of them are more educational, some are more meditative, experiential, but there's some type of teaching and experiential component throughout. Um, There's videos, there's audio recordings, there's worksheets available. Um, You can find that at our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and once you get to the website, you would click on the courses tab and as you scroll down, there will be a box that says mental health first aid kit. So once you get in there, check it out. There's a few different packages available. You can buy access just for yourself. Um, You can buy it in packages if you know of anybody that could benefit from um, some guided work on how to get connected with your body. Mm -hmm. So check that out and hopefully you guys will find that um, as a a help or assistance to you, whether you are considering therapy or you've already started it.
2: Mm Yeah, another option. Um, I don't think we've talked about this yet on this podcast, but uh, Bridger and Jed and I at Beyond Healing Center, we actually do uh, retreats. Mm-hmm. And we do that in you know multiple day settings because sometimes finding uh, the right therapist in your area can be a challenge. And we also have people that you know, they have found a good therapist and they're making a lot of progress, but they wanna take some dedicated time to really uh, do that deeper work.
3: Yeah, with some amazing resources. Yes, yeah. and
2: it's, um, you know, a, a wraparound, multi-day experience um, that includes uh, a few hours of therapy every single day, but also uh, work with a yoga therapist. If you choose that, work with a trauma-informed massage therapist, we have um, equine therapy, art therapy, all kinds of body-based, nervous system-focused yeah. uh, therapies that really bring all of this together that we're talking about.
3: Just a healing yes. soup yeah. <laughs> of oh Just, yes. to, just to spend time in. Yes,
2: to just be, you know, uh, like to immerse your body in a safe held uh, therapeutic environment for a few days Um, and you know if if you don't have a therapist it's a way of um, getting a bunch of work done in a really short amount of time in a supported way if you are working with a therapist um, it's a way of expediting what you're doing and really Uh, getting to the root of something and having those wraparound services to make sure that your body is along for the healing journey with you. Mm. Um, So if you're interested in that, once again, you can also go to our website, beyondhealingcenter.com, and we have a PDF there that has a bunch of details about what that includes. The food is amazing because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's important yes. for your body too. Oh, yes. It needs to feel safe with its food. Very important. Um, and so you can read there more in detail about what that, that could include. And if you have questions, please reach out to us. We have somebody that specializes in, um, communicating to answer questions and go over the details with you to help you make a, an informed decision about whether that's a good fit for you.
1: Melissa, mm-hmm. well, so really quick before we close, will you share the um, source of that TED talk that you were talking about in case anybody wants to go back and listen to yes. that?
2: Yes. Actually, um, because I'm afraid that I won't get it right by memory, we're going to put it in the show notes with a link so that you can just click on it and go straight there because you know how it is when you're you know, watching random things at 2 a.m. when you have insomnia sometimes. <laughs> I may not exactly remember the title, but... Um, Yeah, we will put that in the show notes so that you guys can uh, watch it and listen because there was a lot of really interesting information in there.
3: Very cool.
1: Okay. Thank you guys for listening in, and we'll look forward to hearing any comments or questions that you may have if you want to reach out to us via email on our website or through our social media.
2: Mm -hmm. Safe journeys, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Trauma, a psychotherapy podcast from therapists for clients about the journey of trauma recovery. While resources like this can be helpful, they should never take the place of or be used as therapy. We encourage you to find a trauma-informed therapist in your area to be your guide in this healing journey. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and we would appreciate it if you could leave us a review. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at beyondtraumapodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in.